And Martha Cole asked me to give a presentation uh, at this history conference. Um, uh, it so, sort of surprised me because I had been sort of retired from uh, these kinds of things, taking care of my husband who had been ill for a long time. But uh, I lost him almost a year ago and now I'm kind of back in the, in the um, stream of things. And when she asked me, I was a replacement and uh, I didn't have that much time to prepare. So I just made a list of some of the interesting things about my mother and I hope that you will find it as interesting as, as I think it is. Uh, first of all, the, the book was written by uh, someone that I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, but the book is about the life of a 20th century Crow elder and her name how would you like to have a name like Likes Men? <laughs> that was her name, a Jay-Z chat. And um, let's see, let's go forward. Her stories were told to a lady by the name of Barbara Loeb, and of course I had heard these stories all my life. Barbara Loeb is a, uh, she, she's retired now, but she was a professor of Native Art History at the University of Oregon. Um, she came to Crow Fair in 1979 looking for me. She didn't find me. She found my camp at Crow Fair and got acquainted with my uh, two sisters, Mary and Nellie. And they just immediately welcomed her into camp because that's what our mother told us to do, to be friendly and helpful to everybody that we met. And after a few hours of visiting one another, they said, you seem like a sister to us. Stay here. So Barbara spent the night for the first time in her life in a teepee. And I came along and I, I said, I understand you're looking for me. She said, yes, I'd like to ask you about uh, beadwork among Crow women. I understand that they're very, very proficient in the art and I'm doing a dissertation on uh, Indian, uh, Crow Indian beadwork. And she has written several articles and if you ever have the time, look her up. Oh, she's just wonderful. She sees things in a different way than I do. And so with my knowledge of Crow Indian women and of beadwork and her uh, theoretical mind, her analytical mind, we made a pretty good duo. Uh, her articles are wonderful. Um, she, went, she graduated from the University of uh, Washington at Seattle, and her mentor was a man by the name of Bill Holm. And uh, he's very well known in the Pacific Northwest. He took me to some wonderful, wonderful um, uh, they craft uh, totems. They make canoes. It was a totally different world from uh, the one that I knew here on the plains. But it was a wonderful experience knowing Barbara. Um, let's see. This is the book cover. And this is the life story, of course, of a 20th century woman. And I made this list, and as I go along, I'm going to, um, uh, oh gosh, mark off what I talk about. Um, Barbara became really interested in my mother. And to me, mother was just my mother. She was forever telling a story. She was forever singing songs. And whenever we went someplace, she'd say, this is where this happened, especially here in Millings. I know some stories about these cliffs up here and the area 
that I would love to share sometime. We don't have time for them. But I thought that everybody knew these stories. Later on, when I asked some of my contemporary friends, they would say, what did you say? What story is that? And I'd say, this is what my mom told me. I know love stories. I know tragic stories. And I know something that happened up here that will really surprise you. Sort of mythical. And they would say, I've never heard that. And then I realized that Barbara was white, right? My mother was very different. Some Crow women that I interviewed, you know, uh, this young lady that was talking just before me, I, I don't, I'm not good with names. And the speaker, Laura, Laura, I'm sorry. Laura was talking about clothing. Now I'm really very interested in clothing because that's the way my mother dressed. She wore handmade dresses, she wore handmade shoes, she wore handmade uh, tooled belts. Everything that she wore was uh, handmade. And I became so interested that I have been researching her clothing for a long, long time. And whenever I asked a crow woman, what about that dress, or what about that moccasin, or what about the hairdo? We even talked about underwear. Those women would sort of shut up, you know? And they said, I'm not a storyteller like your mother. She remembers everything. Go ask your mother. But they would confirm a lot of the things that my mother told me. And so I uh, thought, oh, my mother is really different. And I didn't know that because she was just mom to me. You know, she got teased a lot about her name, and I'm going to explain it in a little bit. She was married four times. And uh, some of the people who teased her would say, her name sure fits her. She got married all the time. And there's an explanation about her marriages in, in, my, in the book that Barbara and I wrote. But this is her first husband, and I wish I could make this bigger. Uh, his name was Alex Plainfeather, believe it or not. They had a little child by the name of Samuel, my brother. And some people kind of connect the names, okay, uh, eventually. My married name is Plainfeather, too. This man married my mother. They were very young. Shortly after Sam was born, they divorced each other. And um, later on, this same man married my husband's grandmother. So my father-in-law is half-brother to my half-brother. It's a small reservation. <laughs> but thank the Lord, we are not allowed to marry into our clan. I'm a big lodge woman. That's the clan that my mother belongs to. And so it's a good thing that the plane for the family were not big lodge. This man that uh, my mother married, Alec Plainfeather, was not um, a crow. He was Cree, a full-blooded Cree. There was a rebellion in Canada, and the Crees fled from that area. And I've often compared them with Jewish people. They went all over. They survived all over. And the Cree people came among the Crow people, and they survived there. Alec Plainfeather was adopted by the old man Plainfeather. I wonder if any of you have heard of him. I went to a shoe, shore, a shoe uh, repair shop one time, and when I told him my name, Mardell Plainfeather, he said, are you related to Plainfeather, the old man? I said, no, that's my father's 
great-grandfather. And he said, he, he was a historian, wasn't he? And I said, yes, he was. He died when he was about 105, and even I knew him. But he didn't have any children. And so when this little Cree boy came along on the Crow Reservation, he adopted him. They were very, very kind to him, and he and his wife raised him very well. Um, they even enrolled him in the Crow tribe. At the time, you did not have to prove that you were of Crow blood. If you were adopted into the Crow tribe, they enrolled you. We even have some white people that are enrolled in the Crow tribe. You all know Archie Bunker? Carol O'Connor? His wife is a member of the Crow tribe. I received, I used to work for realty in the Bureau of Indian Affairs before I went on to become a historian and there was a, a signature with Archie, uh, no his name was Carol O'Connor, Carol O'Connor, so I researched it a little bit and I found out that this was indeed Archie Bunker and would you believe that they uh, eventually donated some um, computers to the Little Bighorn College, his wife was really very nice. But that's the history of Alec Plainfeather, quite, quite a history himself. Um, he died as an old man when uh, my husband was uh, a young boy. And you know, when Barbara was researching um, subjects that my mother told her about, she just got really excited and she said the Cree were the first ones who um, cut bone into the shape of elk teeth. Because you must remember, we were forced to live on a reservation and hunting became kind of uh, hard for us. And we wore genuine elk teeth on our clothing. But eventually, we couldn't wear genuine teeth. Only two teeth from the elk teeth, uh, from the elk was worn on the dress. And so these crew people came and found bones on the Crow Reservation where they uh, were living at the time with the crows and they started carving elk teeth and Barbara said they were the ones who uh, shaped you know bone into elk teeth and sold them to, to make a living. I asked my mom and she said yeah they were very very industrious. She said they helped people around here, they cowboyed, they helped with the, the Indian people do some farming and they were just such helpful, helpful people. And I said, well, they're good looking too, aren't they? And she said, yeah, you married one too, didn't you? And we had a good laugh about that. But she, she uh, went on much later, she married Robert Yellowtail. This was her second husband. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Robert Yellowtail. Uh, He's usually listed as Robert Summers Yellowtail, but it's Summer. That was also his chronym. Well, uh, Bioksha was his chronym. That meant Summer. And his nephew was Joe Medicine Crow. And Joe Medicine Crow was known as the Winter Man, Balash. So that was their Indian name. And Robert, of course, has a very, very uh, huge chapter in Crow history. Um, he has often been called a 20th century warrior. And if any of you are interested in film, there was a movie called The Contrary Warrior, and it fit this man perfectly. He was a very traditional person, yet he was 
very, very deep into politics, and not just Crow politics. He was an educated man. He and my father were one of the first educated Crow people in Crow country. He went to Linfield College, and then he uh, went to a law school. I can't remember right offhand what law school it was, but he graduated from there. And in, um, let's see, 1932, 1934, he argued with Senator Thomas Walsh on the floor of the Senate in Montana over the opening of the Crow Reservation. Robert, of course, we call him Robbie in the family. I'm related to this guy by blood. His mother was my dad's sister. So we're one big happy family. Um, later on, my mother would marry his uncle, who was George Washington Hogan. But this man argued on the floor of the Senate and won that argument for he didn't want the Crow Reservation open to ranchers, the way uh, the Flathead Reservation is. He said, this is our identity, our land is our identity, and we don't want to open it up right now. And he won. And then he was also the first Native American um, superintendent in the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the first Native man to serve as the superintendent on his own reservation. <laughs> He was very, very politically active. And he helped me get an award at the Fort Smith Recreation Area over here in Fort Smith, Montana. Um, he didn't like the name Yellowtail Dam because he opposed the construction. And uh, well, they, they won it. They took the land, they built the dam. And years and years later, I came to work as an intern there. I was a park ranger. And um, they asked, we found out that you're related to Robert Yellowtail. I said, yes, I am. And so they said, would you have him come visit us and give us permission to put his portrait on the wall? So I went and I talked to Robbie. He was very, he was very old by that time. He said, I, I don't like that Yellowtail Dam being named after me. I opposed it. But I finally got him to come up there, and he gave them permission to put his portrait up. It was very nice. He took a tour of the lake and the river, and we really had a good time. Um, then, he was a womanizer, by the way. I'll just come on and say that. He had lots of girlfriends. He was in politics. Kind of like, uh, oh, I admire this guy, uh, and I love him, and I'll defend him with with all my being, I love JFK. But he was a womanizer. And that's what I call Robbie, Robbie Olotel. He was uh, the Indian JFK. My mom divorced him. Years later, in uh, 1925, she, oh no, excuse me, that's not, uh, not in 1929, she married Paul Singer. This was her third husband. And they had a bunch of children. Um, the little girl right there is my favorite sister. She was old enough to be my mother. And being that my mom and my dad were, you know, beyond childbearing years when I came along, this little lady practically raised me and my daughter, my own daughter is named after her. But Paul Singer here was a very successful farmer. And his parents were Pentecostals. Amy Semple McPherson, educated 
um, a lady by the name of Nellie Stewart on the Crow Reservation. She was the daughter of Chief Pretty Eagle. And um, Pentecostalism just spread, in, especially in the Black Lodge district of the Crow Reservation. And my mother and Paul, that was where they lived. And my mother, who was a confirmed Catholic because her dad told her to be a confirmed Catholic, became a Pentecostal. And I heard her speak in tongues, and that would scare the hell out of me. She revert back to Pentecostalism every once in a while. And then she would sing these songs of the Tobacco Society. And later on I found out that that was a way of worship. And she'd say, oh, we went and planted the tobacco seed way over here, and she would talk and she would sing these songs. And I said, what is that anyway? She said, well, we, we worship God in the Tobacco Society. Then I found out that Tobacco Society was why the Crow tribe originated. We were Hidatsa, from the stationary Indian people over there on the Missouri River. We split from them because two leaders were given different visions. One was given the corn seed and told to become a farmer there in the Dakotas. They were the Hidatsa. We call them Earth Lodge people. We split from them and we looked for the perfect place to live. It's a long, long story, but we found it in the Bighorn Mountains. He was given a tobacco seed. They said, the boys told him, go find it in the mountains, and he found it in the Bighorns, over there on Cloud Peak. So this became Crow Country a long, long time ago, even before the coming of the horse. My mom was a member. The Tobacco Society has always been among the Crow. I am a member. My mother gave me away to a couple who adopted me into the society, and in May, I am adopting a couple. Um, so it's, it's still functioning, it's still very sacred, it's still very big in, in our culture. But she was also a, a deep, deep Christian. She married my father in about uh, 1940. She was a widow. Paul, unfortunately, died of alcoholism. A very, very successful farmer because they were told to become farmers during the treaty making. And uh, my mother tells me about uh, hiring Filipinos and Mexicans. She would can corn. She would can everything she got her hands on. Um, but when she married my, my father, she was in the hospital at Crow Agency. And by that time, my mother was involved in another church. Um, it, it was a non-denominational church called the First Church of God out of um, Indiana. And she said, we must build a church here. And they built a church in, in Crow Agency. And she was just, she even took her nails and hammer and uh, would, you know, build a building with the minister there. And she was very active. She was a president of the Ladies' uh, Church Society. Eventually, I uh, two later. But um, my father went to Carlisle, and this picture was taken there. And Carlisle, you know, was founded by a man by the name of Richard Pratt. And Richard Pratt's motto was to kill the Indian and save the man. When he went there, um, they taught him that uh, 
being a Christian was the only way to get to heaven, to abandon your language, to abandon your clothing. And my father, of course, worshipped Richard Pratt. He even named his first grandchild Richard Pratt. And uh, when he came home, he married a, a woman by the name of um, Helen. She was the daughter of um, Pretty Shield and goes ahead. Pretty Shield, of course, is a very famous book by Frank Linderman. Pretty Shield was my father's first um, mother-in-law. And they had uh, several children, and one of them was Alma Snell, who was my half-sister. And uh, she encouraged me all the time to, to do what I loved, and that was, of course, history, and to interview all these Indian women that I, I uh, loved to tease and interview. And uh, my father later on, of course, died. Uh, he looked like this. He had blue eyes and he had fair skin. His hair turned completely white, he told me, when he was about 25 years of age, probably from his white blood. And his eyes twinkled, you know. They just twinkled all the time. He was a very, very happy man compared to my mother, who was always very, very serious. So I learned English from my father, and I learned how to speak Crow from my mother. And then I learned how to speak English even better from listening to a radio program called The Young Widow Brown on the radio. My mom would listen to that all the time, and she was an avid reader of any magazine that she got a hold of. And she also um, listened to Young Widow Brown every day, so that's where I learned some English, too. And my father was a collector of stories for the state of Montana. Recently, we found a, um, an account of uh, the Sword Bearer Rebellion on the Crow Reservation that my father wrote, and he got the story from his sister. Um, it's very interesting. Like I said, my mother was very, very involved in the uh, founding of the First Crow Church of God, and we went everywhere on conferences. Uh, that was my father, that's me in the middle, and that's my mother. And we were in Idaho at a conference, and uh, my mother was just so friendly. If she was here right now, she'd know every one of your names now. She was very outgoing. The other day, somebody asked me, um, how would you describe your mother? Um, I said she was very harsh. She was very, very strict. She was temperamental. I think she was having a change of life when I was a kid. Very difficult to please. But also she was a storyteller and at night she, was she would entertain us with all these wonderful stories of the Billings area of Red Lodge. She loved to go to dance. She said, I dance with all the white cowboys. And I even won several contests, she said, over in uh, Red Lodge and Cody. In fact, that picture of the book cover was taken in Cody. She also knew a lot of interesting people, like this man right here. This is a man. He's the last Burdash. Now, some people say Burdash is a French word. And in the Crow language, we say Badat. So I don't know if it's a crow word that the French tried to uh, say, or if it was a French word that we misinterpreted. I don't know. But their men were just like women. And they're accepted into the chat whether, you know, nobody else liked them, but the crow people accepted them. There was also a woman warrior known as a woman chief. She was a great warrior. 
And this man here also fought in the Battle of the Rosebud, up there just a few days before General Custer met his water on the Little Bighorn. Um, he's very famous, this man. His name was Finds Them and Kills Them, Ochigatapesh. And I asked my mom, I said, why do you call him Ochish? His name is Ochigatapesh. And she said, it's kind of like saying Steve for Stephen. It's just a shortened version of his name. But she didn't know that this woman was a man until his death. She was my grandma's best friend. My mother is right here. This is her right now, right there. And speaking of uh, Laura, the boarding schools, she went to a boarding school over prior that, oh, the stories of that boarding school were uh, terror, were pure terror. She said they would, uh, one, one time, this young boy stole a carrot because he was hungry and they, they washed his mouth out with um, soap. If they spoke crow, they washed their mouths out with soap. And upstairs in the attic, there was a room called the dark place. She would put them in there and hang their hands up like that for about an hour or two if they didn't behave themselves. But she said it was good too. She always tried to look on the bright side of things. She was just that way. When that woman asked me, how would you describe your mother? I would say she was fun. She was a lot of fun. And I always teased her too because all three of her men, her husbands rather, uh, besides that Cree, uh, were, were from the Whistling Water Clan, were Big Lodge. She married into the Whistling Water Clan three times. And I would tease her, I said, you like Whistling Water men, don't you, Mom? And you know, we would laugh and all that. Whenever she told us stories, too, she would make us laugh all the time. So she was a lot of fun. She was serious, but she was a lot of fun. And she would get up and do hand gestures, you know, and facial uh, expressions, and she was just wonderful. And she also met Lady Bird Johnson. Of all the women on the Crow Reservation, my mother was selected to be hostess to her. Edison Realbird was the uh, chairman at the time. And am I running out of time? Sorry, about four minutes. Oh, anyway, uh, this um, is a picture of them. And uh, she visited us, and we really had a grand time. And my mother, just Mrs. Johnson, was overwhelmed by my mother. Way later, look at the picture in the background, that's the same picture, that's me, and that's Mrs. Mansfield's, uh, Mike Mansfield's daughter. This is Mrs. Mansfield right here, and this is Mrs. Babcock, uh, at the time, the governor's wife. And this is me and Mike Mansfield's daughter. Maybe someday in the future sometime, our daughters will be looking at the picture of us, looking at the picture of our mothers. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. But my mother was also very, very religious. Catholic, Pentecostal, a Baptist, a non-denominational member, a Tobacco Society member. But her favorite place to pray was in the hills because of the Psalms in the Bible. She was always reading the Psalms. She, like I said, she was an avid reader. She would go out. My nephew here, uh, his name is Cal, was in a bit of trouble one time. And, and his mother, my mother's granddaughter, Lorena's daughter, said, Grandma, pray for my boy. 
So she went out in the hills and fasted. And way later she, she came home and she said, I dreamed of some designs. And Sandy said, what's that got to do with my boy? I asked you to pray for him. She said, no, I'm going to, I have dreamed of some floral designs. I'm going to draw them. You're going to beat them. And someday you're going to watch your son parading in this outfit. And this is Cal parading in that outfit. I wish the floral design were, were a little more uh, visible because they're beautiful. We were in the bathroom uh, just before we came in here and I said, you know, my mother copied some floral designs that were in the bathroom. She took the floral design, oh, she drew it on a, a, a paper towel. She took it home, drew it, and beaded it, and it was beautiful. Oh my, I have so much to tell you. But she still uh, tanned hides. She dug up a bitter root, made a stew out of it. She just was so traditional that in the book she describes how to uh, make bitter root soup. She describes how to tan hide, and also she she uh, would go hunting for uh, berries herself, and she canned everything. And she said that the boss farmer on the Crow Reservation, boss farmers were hired by the Indian Bureau to teach the Indians how to become farmers from a hunting lifestyle. The boss farmer's wife taught her how to can, and the boss farmer also gave her her name, Langs Men. Now, Indian naming in the tribe is very, very special. If you were to name a grandchild, wanted a crow name for your grandchild, a uh, young woman, you would go to a clan mother, a clan father, a veteran, or a good friend of yours that you admired very highly. And you would ask that person, I have a new grandchild. She needs, or he needs a good name. You're gonna name her, would you? And if that person said yes, that person would go and pray for quite a while, and then when he, they're ready, they'll come and tell him I'm ready for the naming now. He would have a feast, he would have four gifts, and that person would stand there and tell uh, the story of how or why he named, he named that person, your grandchild, the name. My name is working all the time. It's got a huge story from a head French woman that was my auntie. Long, long story. but. Uh, that's how Indian naming was. My grandfather went to a boss farmer, a white man, and they said he really admired white people. He said they invent things, and he would go visit this boss farmer all the time. He asked that best boss farmer to name his child. My mother was a baby, and this man named him. My mom said, I wonder why that man didn't name me a flower, the name of a flower or a plant or something. He named me Likes Men. <laughs> and when Barbara heard that story, she said, you know, Lillian, I don't think he meant that you like men. I think he meant that you loved all of humanity. And then that got me to thinking about the farm boss farmer. Grandpa said he was a good, kind man. So I said, this man, was hired by the Bureau of Indian Affairs to come to Indian country, very isolated at the time. He got along well with everybody. Everybody loved him. Did he love mankind? Did he love all of humanity? Because he passed on a virtue to a child. And I think that's what he named my mom. Loves all of humanity or loves uh, the woman who loved mankind. I think that's why he named her that. 
Um, she also, her legacy to me is family. Am I over? Very soon. Okay. I'll tell you a story. She said when she was five years old, there was an old lady that came to visit them. She said, I gave her water. I could not get enough of her. She was really old. She said her, she was so old, her face was just all wrinkled up. And back in those days, they used grease to help those kinds of things, not lotion. But she said her skin was so wrinkled up, you could see little cracks on her skin. Would you like water? Would you like another bowl of soup? Would you like some bread? And that woman said, this little girl has been so kind to me. I'm going to give her a gift. And she said, Mardell, you know what she did? And I said, what? She said, she went <coughs> like that, cleaned it off and gave me some green beads. She said, these are my medicine. Make necklaces out of them. It's a medicine necklace. If you wear these green beads as a necklace, you will grow up to be a good woman. You will live a long time. And uh, Barbara says this. Um, let me read that to you real quickly. What did I do with that book? There's another book. Oh, okay. I'll conclude by reading you what Barbara said about that. She says, if you are a crow reader, you can step into the history of your elders, into the history that one of your elders lived. If you are a scholar of Plains culture, you will gain access to additional perspectives. And if this is your first exposure to Crow culture, you will be welcomed into a different world where a woman might keep a medicine power in her stomach. Today we still wear those green uh, necklaces. I can make four, the sacred number four. If I make a necklace for someone, that person can make four. So that medicine necklace has come a long, long way, but that was my mother. She was very traditional, very, very, you know, modern in some ways, and, and she really liked to tell her stories, and I appreciate that she did, because it, to me, Barbara wrote a really very good book. Thank you.